0: So we're gonna continue and learning about an, another pathway that's closely related to last week's pathway on uh, growing in emotional and spiritual maturity. So last week we looked at what it was like and what it's like when you are in a wall that God has brought you to, that the world has brought you to, that you have brought yourself to, and that uh, maybe somebody else has brought you to, and what it's like to become aware to receive whatever it is that God is trying to give you at that wall and to accept from God what he gives you there for your transformation. And today we're going to look at one story of Jesus being at the wall. Uh, and we're going to understand how we grow and change a little bit or what it looks like when we grow and change a little bit. Will somebody come and lead us in a prayer? Dear Lord, please help uh, Pastor Chelsea with her pain and mobility issues. Please bless her as she gives the message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of us have ever felt as though um, we shouldn't feel sad when we have felt sad? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of us have felt as though... um, feeling pain is somehow our fault like we've done something to cause it that we shouldn't have done yeah how many of us have experienced someone trying to bring us comfort and really making us feel worse yeah because we generally are not comfortable with pain and suffering grief and loss We live in a culture that tells us that we can overcome all of the limits set in front of us. We live in a culture that tells us to strive for more, to not embrace our limits, but to say, I am the author of my destiny and I can overcome. And sometimes that's a really good message, right? Overcoming. Other times, though, it makes us feel as though there's something wrong with us when we cannot overcome When we cannot escape the limits of our humanity, our physicality, our emotions, our family, our mental ability. We live in this culture that tells us uh, everyone should get an award for being on the team. And there should always be someone that you beat, right? So we have this mixed message happening all the time in our culture. And most of the time, we are not comfortable with losing. We're not comfortable with suffering and letting our suffering be public. We're not comfortable with the thought of grief and pain. Because they're not comfortable. They're literally not comfortable. And yet, those are the things that usually mark us in places of crucibles of the wall that we we talked about last week. Those are the things that characterize our overwhelming feelings when we are at a crossroads for the future. Those are the places where we have the opportunity to be transformed because we are at our most vulnerable when we stop putting up that fight, right? So today we're gonna look at what it means to have our souls enlarged through such experiences by looking at the way of Jesus. And first I want to talk a little bit about the people that bring it, Jesus brings with him to this particular story that we're going to read. We're going to read this the prayer that Jesus offers in Gethsemane. And Jesus brings with him Peter, James, and John. And Peter is that oh so human and disciple who regularly sticks his foot in his mouth, right? Who regularly Uh, Let's his emotions just out for the world to see and we love that about him because we can relate Many of us can relate to that part of him But there's another story I want you to think about with peter right before Jesus goes to the garden to pray. He's talking with his disciples And peter promises that he'll never deny jesus Jesus says you're going to deny me this very night three times and peter says no I'll never deny you. I will die with you but I will not deny you. The time of trial will come for Peter, won't it? And then there's James and John who Jesus brings with him. And just uh, in chapter 20, the disciples are there and James and John's mother is also there. And we've looked at this story before. I think Pastor Dave preached on it. And James and John's mother goes to Peter and says, uh, goes to Jesus and says, Let my sons sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom of God. Give them a place. Basically asking Jesus to give them a place of honor in his kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. And he says to James and John, can you drink the cup that I will drink? He's already talked with his disciples about the road and the cross that's coming their way. They know, even if they don't understand, they've heard Jesus speak of the suffering that's coming. And James and John says, yes. We can drink this cup and jesus says you don't understand And so we have peter who is confident in his abilities to stand firm with jesus We have james and john Who also feel as though they can stand and handle whatever jesus is going to go through And there these are the three that jesus brings with him to the top of the mountain when he is transfigured when he is shown in all of his glory when he takes on the heavenly radiance that belongs to him as God. So these three have a, have a history with Jesus. And these are the three that Jesus brings to the garden with him in his greatest time of need. If the transfiguration is the story of Jesus being shown as godly as he can be then the praying in the Garden of Gethsemane shows Jesus as human as he can be. So let's turn together to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll we'll read verses 36 to 46. If you have a green Bible, it's in the second set of page numbers. So when the pages start over on page 23. And as we read, we're going to think about why Peter, James, and John might be there. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My Father, If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. The story continues with Judas and the soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. So Judas is the betrayer mentioned there. So Jesus brings James, John, and Peter to the garden to pray with him. And he does that because Jesus knows to not suffer alone. Jesus knows to not suffer in silence on his own, but to have other people be with him, to support him in prayer. Jesus also brings them to teach them. The time of trial is a term that Jesus has used with Peter just before. That the time of trial when he will be tempted to deny Jesus is coming. And so Jesus says, don't just pray for me, but pray for yourself. For the time of trial is coming. And we are weak as human beings. The flesh is weak, though the spirit is willing. And Jesus teaches them a lot of things. And Jesus teaches us a lot of things if we look at this story. And I'm not going to go through the first, uh, if you have your little slip handouts from your worship folder, I'm not going to go through all the points from God's path to new beginnings through grief and loss because we looked at a lot of these last week when we considered journeying through the wall. Today I want to look at look with you At the picture that Jesus gives us of the ladder of humility, which is on the back of that insert. I want to look with you at how Jesus shows us what this looks like. And by doing so, shows us what it can look like for us. So this ladder of humility comes from St. Benedict. He had 12 steps. And Pete's Cazero in his book shortens it to eight. So we're going to use Pete's. The picture that we get of Jesus, the life that we get of Jesus, really, because all of these traits are shown throughout Jesus' life and ministry, all the way through his death and resurrection, is that Jesus was always mindful of the Father. Over and over again, he completes what is step one of the ladder of humility, of living a humble life for God. Over and over, he says, I will only do what the Father has me do. Over and over, Jesus seeks to have his will submitted to the will of the Father. The fear of God and mindfulness of him is the very core of what Jesus does. So he goes away sometimes on his own to pray. He leads the people in coming to understand this on a regular basis. And here he is at his time of darkness. And what does he do? He prays. Here he is at the time where the moment of truth is coming. To whether or not he will submit his will to the will of God. His whole purpose for coming to earth. He prays. He is mindful that his life is not his own. But that he belongs to the Trinity. He himself is part of God. The mystery that is. And because he knows that he needs to submit, he prays. Which is step two. He prays to be able to do the will of God, to not succumb to the pressure of anyone else around him or to his own will, but prays to be transformed, able to accomplish the task that God has set for him. Able to accomplish the task that he has set for himself. Hebrews describes it this way. And I just want to read Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 for you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, requests to God, with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Jesus prayed to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The suffering that Jesus experiences in the garden is the suffering of the loss of his will in submission to the Father's will. The loss of being told no and accepting the plans and wills of another. And because he accepts and notice how it moves in his prayer, right? He starts out by praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Showing that his will and God's will are not the same in this moment. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Coming to this place of knowing that obedience is the goal. That union, so we talked last week about union with Christ being the goal of the wall for us, but union with the Father being the goal of Jesus at the wall through the the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we learn from him to seek union with him through the work of the Spirit, just as he sought union with the Father. And so the next time he goes to pray, he says, my Father, if this if this cannot pass unless I drink it. So he's coming to accept the fact that the will of God is for this thing that he does not want. He asks for the strength to be able to drink it. Your will be done. He accepts this plan of God. And that's what his prayer is that third time as well. And so he's willing to subject himself. He's humbly receptive because he's come to pray in his darkness. And he's come to listen for God. I think maybe one of the other reasons why Jesus has brought James, John, and Peter with him is so that as they pray, he can confirm his prayers with them. And yet when he goes back to meet them, he finds them lacking. And their ability to support and pray with him. But because he is seeking purely the will of God to take over and be his will as well, he still can trust this work of God. And his response, his response to the disciples shows his patience with them, doesn't it? That's step four. He, he he does, he's honest with them. He shows that he's hurt, that they can't stay awake for even an hour with them, but he doesn't lecture them about it, does he? He accepts that this is where they're at, and he allows them the space to have to work it out with God on their own. He doesn't move his energy from working out what this deep, moment with god is about for him to trying to problem solve this issue for others but instead is patient giving them another try going back multiple times multiple times three times he goes back to them to see if they are praying or if they are asleep and then although they have abandoned him saying, get up, let's go. Their position in his relationships has not changed. Get up, let's go. He still sees them as his disciples, though they have failed to be at the wall and through the wall with him. So Jesus is able, because he's humble, to accept their difficulties. And over and over we see how he is radically honest about what he's see, he's experiencing. He tells them, "I am grieved to the point of death. There is no other point past death for expressing that kind of emotion. I am grieved to the point of death." He does not hide it from them. In fact, he falls flat on his face to pray. This is the kind of fall that you have when you experience horrific news and just lose all sense of control and like strength in your body. This is what Jesus does. He falls on his face to pray. And his disciples can see that. He's honest. Unlike James and John and Peter who have too high of a view of themselves or have a naive view of themselves and are not self-aware, Jesus is able to. To not be ashamed to talk about what he's feeling. And to ask for their help. To ask them to pray with him. To pray for him. To keep watch alongside of him. And though Jesus is not chief of all sinners, because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf... The point of step six is to teach us that when we see ourselves as sinners, when we see ourselves as people who are in need of grace and love and mercy at all times, we come to a place not of judgment on ourselves, but we come to a place of gentleness and kindness with one another. When we recognize our own brokenness and pain, we are able to be more understanding and empathetic and therefore kind and gentle. With one another, which is what we see Jesus doing with these disciples as he's patient with them and their inability to grow in this moment. And look at these prayers that Jesus offers. Two lines. Two lines and a lot of time of solitude and silence with God. Two lines and a lot of time of waiting and listening. You know, when I am noticing that I'm rambling on about something, it's usually because I'm very uncomfortable. And I want to do something to either prove myself in that situation or to make myself feel confident enough to be part of whatever's happening there. But the sign of one who is humbly receptive to God is able to have wisdom to speak less. To speak less to God. And to speak less to one another. Again, look at how he responds to his disciples. He doesn't say, forget you. I'm done. I'm not going to even bother anymore. He doesn't lecture them. He doesn't make them feel bad. Beyond just telling them the truth of the situation. He speaks as one with wisdom. Not needing to be bombastic and filling this moment, which is our tendency, right, when we're uncomfortable. But as one who is seeking union with God, with the Father. And through all of this, through all of this time of seeking to have his will, over these times of prayer, come into communion with the will of the Father, Jesus is transformed into the love of God for the world. Which is step eight, which is the top of the ladder. Transformed into the love of God to be used as an agent of reconciliation and love in the world. Because when Jesus has reached the point of being willing to submit to the work of the Father... When Jesus has reached the point of being willing to go to the cross to die for you and me, Jesus becomes our entrance of eternal salvation, as Hebrews says. Jesus becomes our teacher of obedience. Jesus shows us that the way of suffering is not the way of not being good enough, but it is the way of our God. And Jesus shows us that that moment of pain and grief and loss can be redeemed by God if we allow the spirit to be at work to transform us so as we go into our time of uh, silence and reflection at the end of this message i invite you to ask jesus what part of this he is trying to teach you or can teach you in your pain and your grief and your loss and your suffering shall we pray lord we know that we will never do this as good as you we know that and yet there's comfort in knowing that this was not an easy thing for you our perfect holy god And so we pray now with earnest hearts for you, Holy Spirit, to enlighten us. To enlighten us in a way that we have rejected your teaching. We offer our prayers silently now and our reflections to you.